I get it, slip it, cuff it, check it twice a day. I get it, slip it, cuff it, check it in the morning and before dinner. I get it, slip it, cuff it, check it, and share it with my doctor. Nearly one in two U.S. adults have high blood pressure. That's why it's important to self-monitor your blood pressure in four easy-to-remember steps. It starts with a monitor. Now that I know my blood pressure numbers, I talked with my doctor. We're getting those numbers down. Get it, slip it, cuff it, check it. Talk to doctor now and share it. Be next to talk to your doctor about your blood pressure numbers. Get down with your blood pressure. Self-monitoring is power. Learn more at manageyourbp.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council, the American Heart Association, and the American Medical Association. In partnership with the Office of Minority Health and Health Resources and Services Administration. It's fucking Chainsaw History Time. Name a thing that I shouldn't be angry about right now. (laughs) Running into people at the grocery store. I fucking hate it. Here's the thing that I will confess now, and if this is you, listener, I'm really sorry. But this has happened to me more than once in, say, the last year where I'll go into, like, Kroger or Walmart or whatever. Usually it's Kroger. And I run into uh, someone whose face lights up, and they're like, Jamie! And they run over and hug me, and I am I do sort of recognize them. They're familiar in some <laughs> way. But they come and talk to me, and I bullshit my way through a conversation. How you doing? Do some vague stuff my family. Go through an entire five-minute interaction with multiple hugs. They leave... And I'm I have like, no fucking clue. Who oh, I do that all the time. Was. And you have to understand it's really weird because um, even though I'm known in the community, I can still go incognito. My husband knows everyone. We go out of state and there'll be like some random person who's like. See, I'm the opposite. We do that and it's someone who recognizes me. Yeah. Like I, like oh, it's awful. My it's wife the worst thing in the world. Restaurant in the middle of nowhere, Texas, just on the way to somewhere else, and somebody's like Jamie, and she's like, "You got to be fucking kidding me!" Yeah, and remembering people for the most part is not my strong suit. I'm like, "Hey, you, well, it's it's you." Speaking <laughs> of remembering people, do you uh, remember who we talked about last week? Unfortunately, uh, yes, a certain judge named Matt. Yeah, Matt and his his dead dad Bob. Oh, yeah. Dead, dead Bob, uh, now very dead Matt as well, (laughs) here in 2023. So here we are. Yeah, this is part two of our deep dive into a dead British judge from the 1600s, who for some reason is someone we're supposed to give a shit about when determining rights for human beings in the year 2023. But this is Chainsaw History. Welcome to the podcast where we take a jurist who is venerated in American law schools and give him the same respect a baby gives a diaper. I want to take a shit on him. We're going to be doing some of that. So I'm your host, Jamie Chambers, and this is my sister, Bambi. Hello. Uh, We are a weekly comedy podcast. I am not a historian, just a guy who's been Googling obscure Latin phrases, like way too much to be healthy at all. And I'm a girl who's been forced to listen to Jamie the entirety of my life, so it's kind of almost nice to have purpose in it. Because normally it's just me listening to your ranting and raving just in my kitchen and for no reason. Now, uh, for more ranting and raving, go to ChainsawHistory.com where you can check out past episodes. You can uh, get bonus content, see bonus articles, and extra cool stuff coming your way. There's subscriptions where you can use to directly support what we're doing. And if uh, we get enough of those, we'll, we'll be doing more stuff. 
Um, before we get going again, uh, I would once again want to put out a content warning. Uh, we do usually talk about rough topics on this show, but everyone should know going in, we're going to be discussing topics including sexual violence and abortion. So, if that's not your thing, it's cool to skip until next week and we'll have... Technically, of... it shouldn't be anyone's thing. Well, yeah, but if it's... if it or if or It's, it's just, especially triggering. Yeah, if it's especially a problem for you and it's just not something you want to hear, no problem. So, if you want to get the entire life story of Sir Matthew Hale, an uptight weirdo who died in regret... Don't. Why would you do that? <laughs> because we need the clicks and the listens. Oh, wait. Uh. Um, you can go back and listen to part one before catching up with us here. But if you don't want to do that, the quick recap is that Matthew Hale was cited more than half a dozen times in the majority opinion of the United States Supreme Court case last year that overturned Roe v. Wade and threw away 50 years of civil rights for half the population. So we looked at this the life of Sir Matthew Hale, this guy who was cited by uh, Justice Alito. And we discovered that as a person, he just was an uptight was kind of piece of shit. Kind of, yeah, not somebody, you wouldn't want to hang out with this guy. He was no fun he, at he, all. He was an orphan raised to be a Puritan pastor who instead pivoted to become the biggest nerd and kiss-ass in law school. He was a, a workaholic and a prayaholic. An absolute weirdo, even by the standards of his day. Hale went on to become the chief royally appointed judge in the final years of his life, writing tomes that are cited in American legal cases up to this very day. His influence on our lives is honestly jaw-dropping. Like I just told, like what we covered before. Um, and then he got total, horribly and totally sick and told everyone who could listen that people should retire young um, so they can just pray and read the Bible all day. So really what he wanted were term limits. Yeah, for judicial term limits. I'm, I'm for so, judicial term yeah, limits so as a principle. wouldn't have, for example... It life. would be, in fact, the only one of his opinions that I would say is still relevant or we should give a shit about. You might say that Matthew Hale advocated for, you know, for not having lifetime Supreme Court justices. I also because would hate that. He essentially... I hate this plan. He essentially was one and literally got horribly sick and died shortly after and never got to just enjoy... Any part of his life ever, because all he did is work and pray. So, and, and that's what you get, Dick. And then we uh, we we covered, we began, or rather, we began to talk about Hale's writings and rulings on legal matters. And that's the first one we started with was the crime of rape. To and to sum up real quick, to his credit, he considered rape a serious crime, and his prescribed punishment ended with a rapist kicking at the end of a rope. But to his discredit, and there was a lot of it, he did not consider the word of a woman to be trusted over that of a man. And until all too recently, there was a standard mandatory warning given to juries in rape cases that instructed them to use any excuse to discredit a rape victim. He didn't think spousal rape was a thing because um, he believed that a man obtained permanent sexual a consent that cannot be withdrawn the moment his wife said I do. So he's like, I hate this guy. So that's so why much. that's why it wasn't until 1993 that that was, got scrubbed from our entire country. So like we said, our boy Matt saw the entire world through this bizarre blend of obsession with both the law and his fundamentalist religious belief. The fact that we're listening to him at all is just madness. I mean, not just because he's been dead for hundreds of years in another country, 
But because one of Hale's most sacred legal tenets was that the authority of law and the courts could only exist under the authority of a king. This asshole died before America. Before America was a thing at all. We should not listen to before America people. So he believed in the authority came from the king specifically because said king received his authority from God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But we here in America gave that entire idea the finger. Yeah, along with the idea of kings and nobles and all. all. All of it. So in other words... If you're listening to Hale on this, why would you? Why would his legal opinions matter? Because literally, his entire foundation was based on the idea uh, of, of of divinely appointed justice, and that's from ridiculous. The king. So seriously, we cannot overstate how this dork's uber Christian worldview influenced everything, including how he tried cases that were religious crimes. So remember, this was Matt. He was a full supporter of the Church of England. He was a royally appointed judge. So that meant to him religious crimes and you know secular crimes was all the same thing. And because the authority all came from God anyway and through the king and he's a royally appointed judge, religious crimes and other kind of crimes, there was no difference. And they will be tried the same way and punished. Are you ready? You ready to oh, talk God, about no. some motherfucking witches? Fuck Puritans. Let's get into Puritans. Um, over here in this continent, you might have heard of a little disagreement that took place in Salem, Massachusetts back in 1692. I actually know a lot about this particular well, subject. Well, here's I, the th- I watched a documentary recently. Well, here's the thing. We're not talking about Salem, but there's a connection. The Salem witch trials had more than 200 people accused, 14 women and 5 men hanged, and one dude crushed between beneath stones because he wouldn't enter a plea at all. Well, the interesting thing about that was under the law, you had to confess to the crime, but you also had to accuse two other people. So as long as you did those two things, you were let go. So hundreds of people were actually accused of witchcraft. Only 19 were executed, and only because those 19 people refused to confess to a crime. Now, they there didn't. were a couple of dogs, too, that got, that got hanged. And I don't even think that, and I know there was, um, I think there was a black slave that was also executed, but she was not, I don't think she's considered one of the 19. Right, because of... Because she was a black Because of her status, yeah. Well, yeah, the Salem Witch Trials is one of the few pieces of colonial American history that any of us pay attention to in school because it's like this religious moral panic and also everybody's forced to read The Crucible by Arthur Miller. So, the following quote is from the book Narratives of the Witchcraft Cases, edited by George Lincoln Burr, published in 1914. So this is like a a collection of primary source documents related to the witchcraft trials of New England during the 17th century. So this is like trial records, letters, other documents. like, like So that way there's one collection of all this primary source stuff so you can research these cases. So this is all from Massachusetts, Connecticut, New Hampshire. Quote, I observed in the prosecution of these affairs that there were in the justices, just judges, and the others considered a conscientious endeavor to do the thing that was right. And to that end, they consulted the precedents of former times and precepts laid down by learned writers about witchcraft. As Keeble on the Common Law, chapter Conjuration. Also, Sir Matthew Hale's Trial of Witches, printed anonymously, 1682, unquote. Oh, yeah, fuck this guy so, so yes. hard. 
so hard. Matt had been dead for over 15 years, and he was still helping with state executions in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Because, you know, you know how, how Jesus was all about... All about condemning people to death. death. Yeah. Yeah. The judges and justices overseeing the Salem witch trials heavily consulted this... Well, it says, I wrote it in my notes, book, but technically it's like a pamphlet. It was about 66 pages long. 66. I don't think that was a coincidence. That's once again, this, this book is actually fucking awesome. And you're about to find out why. Why this was like a bestseller. Um, so, and literally its title is called Trial of Witches with a Y instead of an I. It's just the whole thing. This is the part where it gets a little fun, sort of, <laughs> sort of. <laughs> so once again, so the Salem witch trials were like, well, we got to, when they were like, well, we got to try some witches. How do we do that? They start looking at the the precedents and there's this bestseller that tells them exactly how to do it filled with all this gripping drama. So as someone who has recently freshened your brain with some Salem witch trials, you will see some incredible parallels here because they were literally copying yeah. the notes of Sir Matthew Hale doing what he did way back when he was Lord Chief Baron. The judge in the witch trials, too, was a real piece of shit. He was a super piece of shit who was like, even at the end, a lot of people were like, they had remorse. They had guilt. And he was one of those ones who was like, no, I did what I did and I'm glad what I did and fuck those guys. Because he was a piece of shit to the very end. He had no regret. I I sent witches burning back to Satan. And I'm pretty sure we could find that guy's fucking grave easily and spit on it, too. So... In a trial of witches, um, how is a witch identified, legally speaking? So the appendix of this book and the appendix, all of the appendices are all stuff from later editions. This is like, this part's from like the 1800s. After witch trials were no longer a thing and they're actually kind of, the appendices are kind of judging the earlier part of the book harshly. So it says, a witch, according to old descriptions, was generally blessed with a wrinkled face, a furred brow, a hairy lip, a gobber tooth, a squint eye, a squeaking voice, a scolding tongue, a ragged coat on her back, a skull cap on her head, a spindle in her hand, and a dog or cat by her side. And Lord Coke pithily describes a witch to be a person that hath conference with the devil to consult with him or to do some act. Unquote. So it was just some old lady. Yeah. Some old weird, gnarly weird lady. Looking, weird, some weird looking old lady. Well, I mean, people in that time, you know, you get old, you lose your teeth, you get all gnarled. Bent up and all... Yeah. Fucked up. Shriveled and fucked up looking. Disease. And guess what? The pox, guess what, asshole? The pox has run through your village a few times. Older women, we just grow hair on our face. Yeah. We just pluck it. So another section is equally helpful in identifying witches. John Bell, minister of the gospel at Gladsmer, or something that I can't pronounce, says, providentially, two tests appear to discover the crime. If the witch cries out, Lord, have mercy on me, when apprehended, and the inability of shedding tears, because, as a witch could only shed three tears, and those with her left eye, her stock was quickly exhausted, and that was more striking, as King James I shrewdly observes, since other women in general are like the crocodile, ready to weep upon every slight occasion. Ho, 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 unquote. So, you know, we, you know we, women, us, women, us con- women, who women cry are all the constantly time. crying all the time, but a witch will only... Only has three tears to shed, only out of her left eye. So if a woman only cries, not at all, or only a little bit, that's one sign of witchcraft right there. Because a real woman's just a sobbing mess every time. You know how women be. Oh my God! Are we going to talk about the third nipple yet? Let's please talk about the third nipple. We're getting there. So (laughs) King James, just reference there, had not helped things with his obsession with witchcraft. 
he published his book Demonology in and in his literal first year of reign as the recognized king of England, he prescribed and passed the first official statute that made witchcraft a crime punishable by death. I believe that was the year 1604. So literally right as Matt, Matthew Hale is about to enter the scene, King James, the guy he hated, is <laughs> has put down this anti-witchcraft deal. So... In 1662, two old ladies in Bury St. Edmunds were indicted for bewitching multiple people from their town, including children. Three of the alleged victims in the case fell into strange and violent fits in court and couldn't bring themselves to speak. So every time the, these these kids are brought into the court and see the, the you know, quote-unquote witches, they would, they got they would, scared they would and flail and, and have their seizures and do these crazy uh, things and could not be brought to speak. Oh, so these charges were brought by a local wealthy fish merchant who believed his daughters were suffering from witchcraft. And here's where this little, where, where it was speculation of Jamie all these hundreds of years later. Was it a land grab? So, well, here's the thing. Think about the fact that the initial charges were laid down by this fish yeah. dude. Here were the were fish and the sale of fish and the transportation of fish seemed to come into the testimony of this shit a lot. And... Also, I don't know if fish should have testimony. And <laughs> you said fi- testimony. Fi- of fish testimony. Uh, <laughs> no, it's just like fish merchants and people hauling fish and people in the fish. You'll see what I'm talking about. But uh, anyway, There's so fish so this rich fish, goddamn this fish. fish godfather in town is the one who lays these charges. And then a bunch of the testimonies, people are like, "Oh yeah, this such and such happened a few years ago." So the timeline's really hard when you're reading this book. It's kind of hard to follow when certain things happen. So just kind of keep it in the back of your mind that when this one dude named Pacey and it, it enters these initial charges, suddenly he rounds up all these all these witnesses, and some of them are from years before. So and you so it's like oh yeah, ten years ago such and such happened. So that's just one thing to keep in your mind. I, I want you to imagine playing like the Phoenix Wright version of this trial and how many times you'd hit the objection button. Because holy shit, we're about to get into it. Um, the first deposition mentioned in the case is all about boobs, or rather, breastfeeding. Uh, it's third nipples. No, third nipples. We're, we haven't got to the third nipple yet, but don't worry, we'll get there. <laughs> we'll get it's there. there. It's this there. is actually about just re- regular breasts. So, according to the sworn testimony, a woman named Dorothy Durant asked her neighbor, uh, who was an elderly woman named Amy Dunny, to babysit her infant for a penny. And she had only one important instruction. So, so Dorothy's asking old Amy to babysit. Here's some. Here's a penny, but you got to do this one thing. Quote: Dorothy Durant desired the said Amy not to suckle her child, and laid a great charge upon her not to do it. Upon when it, which she was asked by the court, why did she give that direction? She being an old woman and not capable of giving suck. It was answered by the said Dorothy Durant that she knew very well that she did not give suck. But that for some years before, she had gone under the reputation of a witch, which was one cause for her to give the caution. Another was that, that it was customary with an old woman that if they did look after a sucking child and nothing would please it but the breast, they did use to please the child to give it the breast. And it did please the child, but it sucked nothing but wind, which did the child hurt, unquote. So she's basically saying... Yeah, it gets gas. Yeah, she's saying, I want to make my baby gassy plus... Um, plus some people will say you're like a witchy woman and don't want you putting your wrinkly old tit in my baby's (laughs) mouth. So that's her only rule. I mean, now granted, I I do think that it's like, yeah, I mean, that seems Seems like a reasonable reasonable. request. Like here, just watch my kid. Don't put your tit in her mouth. Don't put your tit in her mouth. 
So, old Amy ignored the mother's wishes and put the baby up to her wrinkled old breast, presumably filled with sawdust. <laughs> when Dorothy found out, so she comes back and she sees comes her up baby and her baby's going to be all gassy. And she She's finds out, she off. comes out. So, uh, so, so she just yells at her, and then Amy did not take this lightly. Quote, Amy used many high expressions and threatening speeches towards her, telling her that she had as good to have done otherwise and to have found fault with her, and so departed out of her house. Unquote. That night, the baby grew sick and seems to have experienced seizures, and this affliction lasted for weeks. The baby's not doing great. But Dorothy visited a man referred to as Dr. Jacob, who told Dorothy to hang the child's blanket next to the hearth and then search for anything that might be hiding in the child's bed. Quote. Oh, this sounds like some, some real <laughs> some, bullshit. Some good doctor. <laughs> Here's what you do if you want to see what's wrong with your kid. You get a blanket. You, you hang, the, you hang the, the comforter up by the fire. Then you root around the blanket. Anything you find, uh, you got to look for it. So, from this is quoting again from Trial of Witches. Quote. From the blankets, there fell out of the same a great toad, which ran up and down the hearth. And she, having a young youth only with her in the house, desired him to catch the toad and throw it into the fire, which the youth did accordingly, and held it there with tongs. And as soon there was in the fire, it made a great and horrible noise. And after a space, there was a flashing in the fire like gunpowder, making a noise like the discharge of a pistol. And thereupon the toad was no more seen nor heard. Okay, so they murdered a frog. So, the toad didn't burn, it vanished back to hell. <laughs> like, literally, it's like, this thing literally is like a toad just explodes in, uh, her, in her fireplace. Yeah, this sounds like some bullshit. This is the doctor. The doctor's prescription and the cure. And the cure. Then, oh, so here's, this is when it gets really interesting. The next day, Amy Dunny's niece came to visit her aunt and found the old lady, quote, in a most lamentable condition, having her face all scorched with fire, and that she was sitting alone in her house, in her smock, without any fire, unquote. So Amy's all fucked up and burned after the toad exploded. Coincidence? Um, word got back to the pissed-off mother, Dorothy. Probably. <laughs> so Dorothy finds out about Amy's burns, and she wants to go check it out herself. And uh, so seeing the woman all burned, Dorothy asked what happened. Quote, Amy replied, that she might thank her for it. Amy replied that she might thank her for it, as in Dorothy. Mm -hmm. For that this deponent, meaning Dorothy, was the cause thereof the burns. That she, but that she should live to see some of her children dead and she upon crutches. So she's like, I'm the reason, you're the reason I'm all burned up, bitch. One of your kids is going to die and you're going to be limping around on crutches. Hail uh. Satan. <laughs> That's what Amy had to say. So the baby, meanwhile, fully recovered after the exploding toad incident. That was the, like, Dr. Jacob was right on the money about how to cure this kid. But Amy's prophecy began to take effect on March 6th when Dorothy's 10-year-old daughter, Elizabeth, began to experience the same symptoms as her baby brother had before. <sighs> okay. Because so, it couldn't have been like a communicable disease. It could have just been a disease that the baby got better from and then her sister contracted whatever it was. That's like not, a flu or whatever. No, no it's, this is the curse of Amy this is, Dunny. Okie dokie. All right. When Dorothy returned from the apothecary with medicine for her child, she found Amy Dunny sitting in her home again, explaining she had come to visit the child and bring her water. This old bitty really just needs to leave this family alone. <laughs> Guess what time it is? What time it is? Uh, it's ad time. 
Now, in November, come the longer evenings when folks drop in to play bridge or stop for a snack after the movies. So keep the refrigerator stocked with Kraft's famous cheese food, Velveeta, to spread or slice for swell toasted sandwiches. Velveeta's a natural for late evening snacks, you know, because it's digestible as milk itself. And these days, you really ought to be buying rich golden Velveeta in the two-pound size, so you'll have plenty for snacks and also to melt for economical meatless main dishes. Remember, smooth-melting Velveeta helps supply the protein you expect from a main dish, but the price is low. Tomorrow, get Kraft's famous Velveeta. And we're back, and we're continuing uh, this old lady named Amy Dunny tormenting this family, according to the... For zero now, reason. Now, here's the other thing to remember, too. It's so easy to, like, envision this all as a scene, but what this is is all a woman on a witness stand telling this yeah, story. Yeah, it sounds like a bunch of bullshittery to so me. That's always the, the lens to remember it from, but you're like, or, but just for fun, we can imagine this is all real and how it really happened. This fucking old, oh, this old lady. This old bitty. So she returns home to her sick child. She's got some medicine, and then Amy Dunn's like, I came here to visit her and bring her water. <laughs> As you might imagine, Dorothy, who's already thrown this little lady out of her house once, did not take kindly to this visit and threw her out of her home. Quote, and this is Amy Dunny speaking, You need not be so angry, for your child will not live long. And this was on a Saturday, and the child died on the Monday following. The cause of whose death this deponent, Dorothy, verily believeth that was occasioned by the witchcraft of the said Amy Dunny. For that which said Amy hath been long reputed to be a witch, and a person of very evil behavior, whose kindred and relations have been many of them accused for witchcraft, and some of them have been condemned, unquote. Yeah, that sounds like a bunch of, bunch of bullshit. So, not long after the death of her daughter, Elizabeth did die, Dorothy Durant claimed she became lame in both of her legs from the knee down, forcing her to walk on crutches. Okay, and that couldn't just be hypochondria, or... Well... Let you be the judge of this when I tell you this next part. All right, I'm buckling in. And by a great miracle, when Amy Dunny was pronounced guilty, Dorothy found herself fully healed with full use of her limbs. She threw her crutches aside. It was like, praise Jesus, I'm healed. <laughs> Amy, like, yeah, this was even before the execution, just after the guilty verdict. There's no fuckery at all there. No crutches, no problem. All right, the next victims listed in the case were Elizabeth and Deborah Pacey. Now this, the Pacey family is where the actual accusations came from that brought them to court. Everyone else or witnesses brought in to support what this, uh, the father of the Pacey family who brought the charges were. So, uh, Elizabeth and Deborah Pacey were two little girls aged 11 and 9. Elizabeth Pacey was, was brought to court when, all the, when the trial was going on, but unable to speak or move. Little Deborah was too sick to travel to court at the end, and all her parents feared she would die. And because some of the names are similar, it becomes confusing, so I'll try to keep everybody straight. Okay. So, about, when we're talking about Elizabeth Pacey, we're talking about the nine-year-old. Okay. Quote, Amy Dunny was privately brought to Elizabeth Pacey, and she touched her hand. Whereupon the child, without so much as seeing her, for her eyes were closed all the while, suddenly leaped up and catched Amy Dunny by the hand and afterwards by the face. And with her nails scratched her till blood came, and would by no means leave her until she was taken from her, and afterwards the child would still be pressing towards her, and making signs of anger conceived against her, unquote. So when they brought 
So this little kid just like laying there, and they bring Amy Dunny to go touch this mm-hmm. like catatonic kid's hand. So the kid's like, ah! and comes flying at her, trying to scratch. They're like, see, Amy's she's a witch. Off. She's like, see, this is freaking the kid out, witch. Or the kid could have just had a fever. Okay, you know, you, we'll see how you judge the situation by the time we get to the very end. It's like, and that's best case scenario, that it's not just you're, you're, all you're, right you're, fuckery. You're being super charitable. <laughs> all right. Okay, we're, now we're going to jump back in time. So this was the scene in court. The little kid gets mm. touched by the witch, and, and she freaks out. So now, we're going to go back in time to when it all began for the Pacey family. So according to the testimony of the father, Samuel, the guy who brought the charges and is the rich fish dude, um... Deborah, the nine-year-old, lost the use of her legs on October 10th, 1662. And this, like, before any witches entered the story, this something happened to this kid mm. where she couldn't walk. And so she would just literally be asked to be carried to different places around the house. So this time of day, the poor kid had asked to be set to where she could look out onto the ocean. And so she's just sitting there when Amy Dunny stops by the house to purchase herring. So, like, the... Like the salted barrel, little barrels of salted herring. Yeah, so herring this little bitty is there to get get some fish. She stops by, and she was told to go away three times. So Amy Denny comes by. I want some fish. Oh, fuck off, you old broad. Eh. And then she comes back. So after the third rejection, Amy began grumbling under her breath as she's as she walks away. Quote. But at the very same instant of time, the said child was taken with most violent fits, feeling the most extreme pain in her stomach, like the pricking of pins, and the shrieking in a most dreadful manner, like unto a whelp, and not unto a sensible creature. Unquote. So, the moment Amy Denny goes away for the third time, complaining under her breath, the kid has seizures and shit. A nearby doctor could not determine the cause for Deborah's symptoms. That was when they began to suspect the true cause was the witchcraft of Amy Dunny. And not possible, like, epilepsy or something. Soon their older daughter, Elizabeth, also fell ill with the same symptoms. Again, possible communicable disease. The parents also had this to say, quote, And further, the said children, being grievously afflicted, would severally complain in their extremity, and also in intervals, that Amy Dunny, together with one other woman whose person and clothes they described, thus did afflict them, and their apparitions appearing before them to their great terror and affrightment. And sometimes they would cry out, saying, There stands Amy Dunny, and there Rose Cullender, the other person troubling them. So meet Rose, the second witch, that uh, is now in Righteous Judge Hale's Crosshairs. She first appears as a phantom. <laughs> Just She is the apparition of Rose Cullender. More on her in a bit. The girls' fits would cause them to lose use of one entire side of their bodies. And it wasn't always the same side. Sometimes they were so sensitive they would scream from a gentle touch. Then their bodies would be fine, but they would go deaf, blind, or lose the ability to speak. Sometimes they would go a few days in perfect health, and other times they would have up to five fits a day, at the end of which they would cough up pins. P, like P-I-N-S, as in pins and needles. And one girl, one time, coughed up a two-penny nail with a broad head. Oh yeah, this sounds like a bunch of bullshit. Bring it up, see? From the hardware store. And was later, the the pins and the snail were later produced in the court as evidence of Satan's involvement. I love the say-so of, like, some random-ass dude, too. (laughs) She was coughing up pins. She must be a witch. See? See, these are the things. These are the pins. This isn't the shit I grabbed out of my barn before I showed up in court. This is the stuff my daughter coughed up. So, Sam stayed with his daughters for two months. And during this time, he'd demand they read passages from the New Testament. 
But before they could pronounce the names of Lord Jesus or Christ, another fit would start up. They would be like, and our, they couldn't say, you know, the names of God in any of his forms. But, and then they would start with the coughing up pins and all that. But when they came across the names Satan or devil, they would clap their fingers on the book and say, This bites, but it makes me speak right well. Quote, the father swore his daughters could see Amy Dunny and Rose Cullender in their fits, who that threatened to torment them ten times as much if they complained. Okay, and um, he knows this how? Well, he's, he's, te- Obviously. he's testifying to it in a court of law, and he's rich. Ah, oh, that changes everything. Quote, in their fits they would cry out, There stands Amy Dunny, or Rose Cullender. And sometimes in one place, and sometimes in another, running with great violence to the place where they fancied them to stand, striking at them if present. They would appear to them, sometimes spinning, sometimes reeling, or in other postures, deriding or threatening them. Unquote. So the little girls are running around, swatting at the air, saying, there they are, there they are. Nope, she's over there now, playing ghost whack-a-mole. <laughs> this must have been so hilarious for these kids. If for, no- I mean... Best case scenario, they're fucking with their dad. And worst case scenario, they're just being complacent. His, or they're doing, his what, they're doing exactly what their dad they're said. They're told, yeah. You know, this will it'll be up to you and the listeners to judge by the time we get to the end of all this, this madness. Uh, so the girls witnessed little beasts running around the house that looked like mice, but no one else ever saw. A girl claimed she grabbed one with fireplace tongs and threw it into the fire, where it screeched like a rat as it burned. Another time, a bug that looked like a bee tried to fly into little Deborah's mouth, which caused her to run inside, and then she fell into another one of her seizures, and at the end of which, that's where the two-penny nail came from. Oh, okay. And she explained that the bee tried to force the nail down her throat. Oh. The you bee. know, bee, bees the bee are... sent by Amy and Rose. You know. Satan's bee. <laughs> bees, so known for their ability to carry shit. As Nicolas Cage said, not the bees. <laughs> or you just bees. They're everywhere. Run for run your for lives. So apparently they're fucking trying to shove nails down your throat. That's that's pretty hardcore. That's a different kind of killer bee, I guess. That's, yeah. That's, that's <laughs> African bees. It turned out that the English bees were way scarier. Um, yeah, then insert your joke about, is this an African bee or a European bee? It's just a weather measure of weight ratios. How could the, how could the nail be carried? Um, another time, one of the girls claimed that a swarm of flies all carried little pins. Um, flies, for the, for the also same known purpose. for their amazing carrying, carrying capacity and how they carry little needles around. Um, this is uh, where we get into the nature of the so-called evidence. The language in Trial of Witches is old and stilted, and it sometimes buries important information about the source of like who the person being deposed is who testified to things, and presents a lot of evidence as fact without really saying who was around to witness things. But many times it does say, like, the deponent said this. You have to kind of like diagram the sentences and make mental gymnastics, but it's like, oh, so here's a good example that's a little easier to decipher this sort of thing. Because there's a lot of hearsay, like shit that would never be Well, yeah, that's nothing but hearsay. All of it's hearsay. So example, quote, at another time, the said elder child declared unto a woman named Margaret Arnold and sitting by the fire suddenly started up and said she saw a mouse. One of those beast mice. And she crept under the table looking after it. And at length she put something in her apron, saying she had caught it. And immediately she ran to the fire and threw it in. And there it did appear to this deponent, person being deposed, this Margaret lady. And there did appear upon it, to this deponent, like the flashing of gunpowder. 
though she confessed she saw nothing in the child's hands, unquote. So she, the little girl's like, I see it, I see it, grabs something in her and, apron, then, and then throws something in the, the in fireplace the fire, and, and it explo- explodes just like gunpowder. And she says she never actually saw the mouse, just the explosion in the on the whole antics. This was accepted as testimony towards guilt. Yeah, because again, this fuckery just would not exist And even though, and, and Matthew Hale is kind of invisible in this text, but remember, he's the judge overseeing this whole fucking thing, rolling on the objections and, and making determinations about what kind of evidence is and is not allowed. So anything that is allowed is because Matt thinks it's fine. It's fine to have this kind of bullshit. So... We have little girls having weird fits, acting out, barfing up little pieces of metal, and these are those are the only things actually witnessed by like the adults. Everything else is stories and claims from the girls with no other direct witnesses. Like daddy, blah 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 happened. Or so they're, far, or they're all running, of it or, is or they're running daddy around. All, in, yeah. all of this happened. And because none of the kids are testifying, because oh, we just can't because they they go into seizures every time they're in court with these evil witches. There's like ah, oh, we can't do it. Sorry. 318 years later, the satanic panic began in the 1980s that echoes a lot of this shit. Oh, God. Like religi- The satanic panic. Yeah, Another re- thing I know a bit about. Yeah, I mean, religious hysteria built off the testimony of little kids saying ridiculous things like exploding demon mice or toilets that flush you down into Satan's basement. You know, it's... I was flushed down Satan's maybe toilet. Maybe don't ask little children leading questions and give them approval by saying, but them saying, oh weird yeah, shit. I mean, they will run with, with it. <laughs> not to mention, adults will put words in children's mouths, and that even the so memory of adults times. is easily fucked with yeah. and fallible. So that's all of that. But even then, even then, this is ridiculous. Even 350 years ago, this is like sensible people would be like, wait a second. Oh well, yeah. I mean, you know, so it's the California preschool trial. Yeah. This is this own version of it, except this is these two weird old ladies in town being uh, persecuted by a fishmonger. So, the girls claim that Amy Dunny and Rose Cullender tormented them night and day, dared them to drown themselves, cut their own throats, or otherwise destroy themselves. When having fits, they would scream out, Rose Cullender and Amy Dunny, why do you not come yourselves but send your imps to torment us? Unquote. Remember the Durant family from the very first accusation? Deborah was the pissed off mm-hmm. mom. So, uh, this is another relative. Edmund Durant testified that Rose Cullender visited his house to buy herring. Sound familiar? And when the old crone was turned away, his daughter Anne fell ill with stomach pains and pinprick sensations on her skin. She then fell into swooning fits, and when she woke up, she swore she had seen the apparition of Rose Cullender, who threatened to torment her. Young Anne was present in court, but unable to speak, and would experience violence fits if brought into the presence of old Rose. So... The accused couldn't face her accuser, because, which and, is and the testimony couldn't be given. So, so instead, they just took the hearsay evidence from the parents. So, the parents were the only ones who testified in this case. A mother named Diana Booking swore that her daughter Jane was too weak to travel to court, but testified the girl was afflicted with swooning fits and stomach pains. In February, the child would eat very little food and would vomit up crooked pins. Other times, they would find pins in the child's hands. Jane would go mute for days at a time, and when the episode finally passed, she told her, mom, her mother that Amy Dunny would not suffer her to speak. The pins and a nail from Jane Booking were also entered into evidence. Oh my god. Yeah, this yep. the pins that I Sounds found right. in the it hands, that literally in the hands, just held in the hand of, of her child. daughter, who isn't there to even talk about it, but that's evidence of this these women being in league with Satan and afflicting all of these poor girls. And again, it could just be some, 
it's either complete bullshit or it's like some of these kids had some kind of fucking like flu these kids were sick another girl named susan chandler was said to be working in the town of laystoff this is the, the town where all this was supposedly going on when she was visited by rose cullender who frightened her so badly she ran home to her mother mary so literally she just sees the scary old lady freaks oh my out, god runs home that night susan fell into violent fits and screamed out the name of rose cullender swearing she could see the crone sitting on her bed sometimes with an enormous dog by her side Seeing Rose Cullender sitting there with a dog next to her on the bed, the phantom. Presumably. Yeah. So, Susan vomited up pins like everyone else, and sometimes she would lose her eyesight or power of speech, according to her mother, who testified on her behalf, not bringing the kid to court. Blah, blah, blah. It was at this point in the timeline that this is when Samuel Pacey formally accused the old women of bewitching his daughters, and then a warrant was granted to drag Amy and Rose in front of Sir Edmund Bacon, who was the authority in that area. They confessed nothing. Quoting again from Trial of Witches. Quote, He gave order that they should be searched, whereupon this deponent, this is uh, Mary Chandler, with five others were appointed to do the same. And coming to the house of Rose Cullender, they did acquaint her with what they were come about and asked whether she would consented by which they should search her. She did not oppose it, whereupon they began at her head, and so stripped her naked. And in the lower part of her belly they found a thing like a teat, an inch long. They questioned her about it, and she said that she had gotten a strain by carrying water, which caused that extrescence. But upon narrower search they found her in her privy parts three more extrescences, or teats, but smaller than the former. This deponent further saith that in the long teat at the end thereof there was a little hole, and it appeared unto them as if it had been lately sucked, and upon the straining of it there was issued out a white milky matter. Unquote. Ah, uh, yeah. You see that she is nursing her evil familiar. Or um, she just with, could have sores. Yeah, she's got this horrible growth that's oozing pus and then. Yeah. Uh, this poor old lady is stripped naked and humiliated, and they're like, you know, all of her bumps and polyps, and now they're like, yeah, it's proof of that you're in league with... Yeah, I mean, again, it's like the phrase um, third nipple was also just really considered, like, you know, moles. So it's like, I have a tit mole, I'd be considered a yeah. witch. <laughs> well, in this case, the witch's tit was literally a third tit on her, on her, her gut, and it was only an inch long. And it, it was just a little growth. And it was probably just a pussy, a, disgusting little ah, growth. Sad. Poor, old, poor old lady. Poor old bitch. So, just so we're clear, the above was medical evidence presented in court as proof of guilt. Oh, that's so gross. But so, you know what it's time for? Ads. Not Adventure Time, it's Ed's. Hey, son. How are you feeling? Uh, I'm fine, Pops. What's on your mind? I just... I can't explain it. When your kid can't find the language, find the lyrics. Start a conversation at SoundItOutTogether.org. Brought to you by Ed Council and Pivotal Ventures. And we're back. We're back. We're back talking about uh, the events of this lovely uh, witchcraft trial oversaw by Judge. In this case, uh, he's like the, the Lord Chief Baron, Matthew Hale. So when eventually Susan Chandler was brought into court, Guess what? Fitz prevented her from giving testimony. But she recovered a little while later because they, they brought her, took her out of the court. <gasps> and then she got better. And and so like she she came to and they're like, are you, are you good? Can we bring you back in so you can quickly do this? Mm -hmm. And she's like, yes. Back to the source. Quote, 
when she was sworn and asked what should, could she say against either of the prisoners. Before she could make any answer, she fell into her fits, screeking out in a miserable manner, crying, Burn her! Burn her! Which were all the words she could speak, unquote. Oh, so gross. Okay. The trial continued with expert opinions. Expert opinions? Yes, the expert witnesses are coming in now. Oh, A doctor hypothesized that the devil worked on people's bodies by stirring up and exciting the humors. You know, the humors, blood, Mm -hmm. phlegm, black bile, and yellow bile. The the, the ways our bodies work, of course. Of course. And uh, so the devil can unbalance your humors, causing, uh, you know, causing these afflictions. And that the devil was taking natural afflictions and making them worse. So one of the... And there wasn't really like a traditional prosecution and defense like we would think of them in this case. But um, but there was a reasonable guy we're going to talk about in a minute who did present some like, well, what about something that doesn't sound bad shit crazy? <laughs> and, and so um, one of the questions was, well, this one girl already was getting sick. Something was wrong mm-hmm. with her before the witch ever even showed up and got mad. She had lost the use of her legs already before, before Amy Dunny even showed up on her doorstep. So... Literally, he's saying, well, no, 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 it's okay, because then when she cast the curse, it just made everything worse. That's just proof. More proof of the devil's involved. <sighs> because is, the devil just, he doesn't, he just is, messes with your humors. Oh, that's just fucking ridiculous. He, okay. also, he also remarked that this was very similar to a bewitchings that took place recently in Denmark. Science! I am a lead witch finder. Yes. <laughs> Oh, well, the Witchfinder <laughs> General was... Uh, some of these other cases that were tried in the same location uh, were literally brought forth by the King's Witchfinder. Um, so, the speaking of the more sensible guy I mentioned earlier, his name was Keeling. And he did not feel that the evidence was enough to convict these prisoners. <laughs> yes, same. He said that even if the children were truly bewitched, he was like, let's just say, for point of, for sake of argument, that this is real and this isn't utter horseshit. <laughs> the Satan is here. How could this evidence be used to prove that these are the two women who mm-hmm. did it? He warned, quote, For that if it might be allowed, no person whatsoever can be in safety, for perhaps they might fancy another person who might altogether be innocent in such matters, unquote. In other words, if, yeah, if this, the, if this bullshit, anybody can say anything if you're going to believe this. Yeah. This is a way to just destroy your neighbor's... Ruined yeah. people, and this is fucked, and we should Hence do the this. entire Salem Witch Trials. Hence the I'm, entire yeah. point of Arthur Miller's play. Oh my god. Yeah, it's complete fucking so, nonsense. And sadly, this is the one reasonable person in this entire goddamn story. So, so respect to you, Keeling. You were the one good one, but you didn't win. <sighs> oh well. It actually took another guy named Holt later on. There was one more witch trial in this, because this one location was used for a whole series of famous witch trials. And after um, Hale was retired, this other guy, Holt, was the one who was like, this is all bullshit. <laughs> and he kind of put a shut, he's kind of like closed down the era of these kind of things. So so Keeling and Holt are our only heroes, actual <laughs> heroes in the, in this story. And Holt's not even in this one. So Keeling, he tried his best, but he did not succeed to argue that side of things. But, he, but you'll see him try in some other ways. Um, and that once again, he's just saying... Anybody can accuse anybody. No one is safe mm-hmm. if this is allowed. And they're like, yeah, whatever, Satan. So, yeah, that's he's all we got. So, once again, under Keeling's direction, they, they tried to do some, like, science. They wanted to conduct some experiments to, to try to prove that it truly was Amy and Rose that are causing all this shit. Because they're like, well, the kids are freaking out at the presence of these witches. So, what if we cover their eyes and have different people come in the room and touch them and whatever and see how they react? See, this is just grifter shit. <laughs> 
This so, is absolute fucking nonsense. This is a fucking clown show. <laughs> but, but okay, we're gonna blindfold the kids, and this will help us determine Satan's involvement. Satan. <laughs> so, so they do this thing. So Keeling's like, look, let, this way we'll see if it's really these women causing them to freak out mm-hmm. or not. So they did this, and in one experiment, a girl was blindfolded and just touched by like a clerk of the court, one of those staff or whatever, mm-hmm. and the girl freaks out and goes into one of her fits, just as if she'd been touched by Amy or Rose. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so, don't so say. Keeling's like, see, this, this might be bullshit. However, some bullshit going on. Mr. Pacey, the of guy course. who brought the charges in the first place, he argued successfully that if the girl thought she was being touched by the witch, of course she'd react in the same way. That that the fear brought on by the witch, it's it's real. And just and this is just once again further proof of or guilt. It's- Proof of complete and total Ipso facto, a habeas corpsus, uh, expecto patronum. I mean, uh, all right, let's let's keep going. He also argued in this big monologue that that the, since these children were from unrelated families, there could be no conspiracy for them to act in similar ways. They're like, uh, nobody asked you about that, dude. Why did you just loudly yeah. say that? <laughs> That's not fishy at all, yeah. fish guy. Yeah. This fact may... I, I'm convinced now. In my head canon, this dude is where we get the term fishy from. <laughs> That's not real, but Jamie made it up. Um, so, a man named John Soam testified that Rose had screamed obscenities at him and issued vague threats after he damaged part of her house with his merchant cart. Yeah, I would have fucking... So, yeah, yeah so, I'd have bitched him out, so too. So this dude Fuck clipped you, dude. the side of her house, messed up her brickwork. And she's like, you motherfucker. She just comes out screaming at him. Later that day, the same cart overturned multiple times. Then ended up stuck in a gate. Maybe it's because he sucks at driving a yeah, cart. Yeah, we already determined he can't steer, <laughs> doesn't know what he's doing. So he sucks. I love I love the cause and effect, like simple <laughs> common sense people have. So this is the best part. After he crashes his cart into this woman's house and and she yells at him, his cart overturns multiple times and then gets stuck in this gate. So then these dudes are straining, they're pushing the gate through and having to carry all this heavy shit, and all of this work gave them all spontaneous nosebleeds. Satan! Witch! <laughs> the witch has made this duff made my nose bleed! Oh, that's it's, ridiculous. It's so funny, except this ends with two old women dangling from ropes. That's so Jesus Christ. Awful. Okay, another man named Robert Sheringham swore to a story from... A, this is, once again, a lot of these stories are from years before. So it's like a few years back... And he declares after he ran into Rose's house with his <laughs> cart, she threatened that his horses should suffer. And all four of the animals died within a short time. His pigs began jumping around and then dropping dead. He lost the use of his legs and he was afflicted with lice of extraordinary bigness. <laughs> and was forced You might to, need a fucking... Your, your farm has lice, dude. And was forced to burn all his clothes. Well, I mean, that could just be like, that's a you thing. Maybe you should have kept a cleaner farm. At some point, unspecified, after this woman yells at him for crashing into his house, his animals all start to die, and it's clearly all her fault. Clearly. Testimony against Amy Dunny claimed that she had hexed a a flock of geese to death. That she had correctly predicted the collapse of a newly constructed chimney. Evil prophecy. And my favorite, this one woman asked Amy to help fetch a barrel of salted fish home. So so the, the fish is being brought by boat mm-hmm. to the shore in a barrel. All this these old biddies and want so she's like, she's like, she's like, can you well, well no, this is this other woman saying, Hey, old Amy, come come help me bring this barrel of fish back. And so Amy supposedly said, I will go and you actually have it. <laughs> and when the woman went to the shore to retrieve her barrel, the fisherman told her it had mysteriously fallen off the side of the boat. 
into the ocean and gone to the devil. Truly, there was no evil that Amy Dunny would not perpetrate. She said she took that woman's barrel of salted herring away. You know, so far, it seems like all the people in this town just Witch. suck. And, it's a witch! And they're like, every time these poor old biddies point out how much these people suck, they're like, she's a witch, burn her! Well, no, we don't, like, we don't burn, burn in England at this point. That was the Spanish Inquisition. Yes, that's we, true. We, we hang, hung them. We, we hang our witches like civilized people. All right, so with all the evidence presented and all the legal opinions offered, there were two questions the court had to ask. This is in the book. The first question... Were the children actually bewitched? Second legal question, if so, are Amy Dunny and Rose Cullender guilty? So, the pamphlet is quick to defend them, th these people, for never asking the first obvious question, are witches a thing? <laughs> is this real? Is this real? Or is this like a crock of shit? Um, <laughs> quote, that there were such creatures as witches, he made no doubt at all. For first, the scriptures had affirmed so much. Secondly, the wisdom of all nations had provided laws against such persons which is an argument of their confidence of such a crime. And such hath been the judgment of this kingdom, as appears by the act of parliament, which hath provided punishments proportionable to the quality of the offense, and desired them strictly to observe their evidence, and desired the great God of heaven to direct their hearts of this weighty thing they had in their hand, for to condemn the innocent and to let the guilty go free were both an abomination to the Lord. Unquote. Again, so witches are totally real because it's in the Bible. Again, and also the king and parliament said so. I'm, t I'm telling you, Jesus, he was, a, you know, a notorious fan of capital punishment. Yeah, it's all about it. <laughs> he was all about it. About, you, know, you know how, like, when the woman was being stoned to death and he's like, uh -huh. yeah, you, yep, need get bigger, her. you need bigger, sharper rugs. <laughs> that's, that's the Jesus. All that in mind, the jury went back for their deliberations for half an hour. For all, a whole 30 minutes? After weeks of all of this, they're like, we got this. <laughs> Two identical verdicts. Guilty! Hang the witch! Is both of them. <laughs> These poor old biddies. The people in this town suck. And remember, this is the moment that, that the, this one woman leaps to her feet and she's like, praise Jesus! Because like, the walk. moment the guilty verdicts is like some of the people immediately like, we're all better now. Starting with that Hooray. woman who literally threw aside her crutches like she's Which a, should have been like a giant like, red flag. Like a fucking televangelist <laughs> thing. Putting, it's like, I'm healed. So the next morning after the guilty verdict, all the kids were brought to Lord Hale's lodgings. And everyone except Susan Chandler seemed fully cured. Like all the kids are better except one girl still got like a tummy ache and some issues. A few of the children were brought into court. And they were like, they're brought back in. Uh, now that the, the official proceedings are over... And, and they were like, oh, yeah, um, everything that, yeah, guys, the way you did it, we could hear you. We couldn't talk, but you got yeah. it right. Good Thumbs job. Up. Gold star. Everything. You got, you nailed it. <laughs> All right. So um, Amy and Rose at this point did not say much in their own defense because they were already pronounced guilty. Their fates were already sealed. So it was like, you yeah, know, fuck you, kids. <laughs> you fucking lying pieces of shit. <laughs> we're going to die. No wonder these old biddies were so mad all the time. So Living in the, these town full of horrible God, people. Yeah, these people. These people suck ass. Yeah, are probably getting free fish for the rest of their lives. Um, so the main account from Trial of Witches ends with this. Quote, In conclusion, the judge and all the court were fully satisfied with their verdict, and thereupon gave judgment against the witches that they should be hanged. They were much urged to confess, but would not. Now, the next part is to understand that the author of this is technically anonymous. It was, mm -hmm. it was published anonymously, and it was published as if some person 
was here as a witness for this whole thing and just yeah, wrote this like as some his kind account. of a reporter. Right. So he says that morning we departed for Cambridge, but no reprieve was granted, and they were executed on Monday, the seventeenth of March, following. But they confessed nothing. End of the trial. In all caps. Unquote. Oh, justice yeah. was done. Yeah, and justice for all. Oh my God. Are they Matthew gonna Hale. throw her? In, did they? They didn't even throw her in the water first to see if she'd float. Matthew Hale crushing it once again <laughs> as the ultimate awesome judge, making sure that some motherfucking witches were not going to be suffered to live while he was around. There we have it. So based on second and third hand evidence, apparitions and dreams, weird coincidences like accidents and dying animals and nosebleeds, of pins and nails and stomach aches and seizures and fainting spells, cysts and polyps and other growths were witches' teats used to suckle familiars, and discolored skin was devil's marks as proof of their pact with the adversary. Or they could just be age spots, you dick. These are poor old ladies <laughs> before medicine really existed. Um, so for these crimes against God and man, these two elderly women were hanged by the neck until they were dead. And Lord Chief Baron Matthew Hale, I'm sure, slept like a baby that night after his nightly prayers. Yeah, that's a, that's a gross story. So that's the story of Matthew Hale and witchcraft. Yeah, he's a real dick. Yeah. And so as a Salem witch trail yeah. person, does that sound familiar? Oh, yeah. Like I mean, it's so, I mean, it's, again, it's like this has all been so par for the course. Except this one really does seem like this is a tinged with the, with the, with the interest of this business. Whether, whether it was yeah. business reasons or he just hated these two women because they kept wanting to come around being all smelly and wanting to buy fish from him. Either way, he wanted these two women out, and it very seems like this was like a conspiracy. He got all these people to, he paid mm -hmm. them off, and like, their children all suddenly were cured the moment the guilt, because like I said, they didn't even wait for the women to die. They're just like, the moment there was a guilty verdict, this woman's like, I can walk again. It's like, mm -hmm. gee, these people. These are some fucking horrible people. And again, I mean, the Salem Witch Trials. It was no different. It was just bigger. So yeah, it's always they like, accused hundreds of people. Yeah, that not one just seemed more like a case of true like mass hysteria, hysteria, whereas this one feels more like a conspiracy. But it didn't. Well, the the mass hysteria started, and it's like again, it uh, there's so many different reasons of why it might have gotten out of hand. Well, once you get that like, many people involved, there's more than one reason. For I mean, everything. yeah, it's like was there ergot poisoning? There, there, but that, basic, there might have been that. There might have been just like a lot of grudges against neighbors well, being expressed. the official, the kids that were initially afflicted, they had come as orphans and servants from the French and Indian War and started for some reason that no one could see would just start crying and shivering. And, mm. and it's like, it's very possible some of these kids just had severe PTSD and they didn't fucking know anything about it, so it must be witchcraft. And then it turned into different land grabs and some mass hysteria. There was a lot of complicated issues. It got out of hand. It got out of hand. And again, most of the people involved after it was all said and done expressed remorse. Especially because one of the guys who were last to hang, he was, I, I want to say he was a reverend, and he recited the Lord's Prayer um, as they were about to hang him. And the people were like, he shouldn't be able to say the Lord's Prayer if he's a witch. Yeah, you can't. You physically wouldn't be able to do it. So they started to panic and try to save him. And they pushed him down to hang him faster. If I remember, wasn't it right that the technicality was there was like one word difference in the true Lord's Prayer, Prayer versus yeah, the they, like they tried to they tried to give some kind of bullshitty yeah, reason see, afterwards. He, because he missed they, one word. but no. Yeah, they, no, they didn't even give him a chance to finish it because they were like, oh, holy shit, he might be innocent. 
Hang him! <laughs> so again, getting back to Matthew Hale, it's like we got this guy who literally had women executed for fucking witchcraft, and we're supposed to listen to his words. However, we're about to... We're getting into something. So we've come full circle, Bambi. Coming back right around to the topic that kind of brought us here at the beginning of episode one. Oh, goody, goody. But you know what it's time for first? Oh, shit. Ads! We love ads. Mayfield. Mayfield. Fresh new way to smoke. A fresh new kind of cigarette. Mayfield. The smoothest thing that's happened to smoking since the filter. Mayfield. With just enough menthol to smooth out the smoke, but not enough to blur the taste of the good tobaccos. And Mayfield gives you the reassurance of super filtration. There's no better filter on any leading cigarette, menthol or otherwise. Mayfield leaves your mouth clean, fresh, moist. Try Mayfield and discover the smooth satisfaction of this new kind of cigarette. Mayfield. Fresh, new way to smoke. And we're back. Back from those great ads. So, like I said, we are now looping back around to what, what brought us here in the first place. This whole, um, the abortion debate in the United States and the Supreme Court case that cited Hale very heavily um, the ruling that came out last year. So are we going to start burning witches too? Let's hang him. So at this point, we've established what kind of person Matthew Hale was and the kinds of cases he presided over. Like most men of his place and time, he didn't believe that women should be allowed to own property, make financial decisions, or bring legal action. Well, you know, technically neither did we until almost the 70s. Oh yeah, you couldn't own a checking account. Yeah. We have a credit card. We couldn't have, no, and that was in the 70s. Yeah, that was We had even lush rights before yeah. then. Uh, yeah, it's it was, really gross. Yeah, we learned that, you know, your right to not be raped by your husband didn't fully kick in until the mid-90s, or yeah. early 90s. Uh, you know, back then, during Hale's time, a father basically owned his daughter, and until he sold mm -hmm. her off to another dude who owned her for the rest of her life, unless she was lucky enough for him to die first. Widows were some of the few people who sometimes got and a again, tiny bit of autonomy and power. And honestly, widows at that time period, too, especially, like, turn of the century they fucking rocked it's like my husband is dead and long live my dead I've, husband i've got money <laughs> so once again matthew hale is a guy who didn't believe that a husband violently raping his wife is a crime he instructed juries to be skeptical of testimony from a woman in rape cases however witch trials it's all yeah. cool anything goes yeah he considered you know men getting nosebleeds and the polyps in an old lady's vagina as proof of guilt in a capital case that ended with two executions. Which, again, the court shouldn't be looking at old ladies' vaginas <laughs> for pretty much any reason. That's none your business. So I think it's fair to say we both agree Matthew Hale sucks. sucks. And it makes no sense. We're supposed to take his writings on the common law as of instructive in our life. So, yeah, sorry, we're, suppo we're supposed to listen to Matthew Hale, according to the Supreme Court. Oh, yeah, fuck a bunch of that. But for but we ignore the parts that, that, that we don't like, about he hanged women as witches, or believe that all power derived from God through a divinely important king, which is specifically un-American. If I were to, con like, suppose we had a Ouija board and we could summon and talk to Matthew Hale, I don't think he would think our entire legal system was legitimate at all, because we rebelled against his majesty, the divinely oh, appointed yeah, king no, George III. as far III. as he's concerned, America could just burn. So let me say this out loud. 
The laws of another country from more than 300 years ago should have no bearing on the lives of t- Americans in the 21st century. Yeah, preach. And yet, are you ready for the biggest mind fuck of all? <sighs> Give it. Bring it. So, back at the beginning of the first episode, I read you a selection from the majority opinion of the United States Supreme Court in the Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization. That case that stripped away a woman's rights to make private medical decisions about her own body. Quote, We begin with the common law, under which abortion was a crime at least after quickening, i.e. the first felt movement of the fetus in the womb, which usually occurs between the 16th and 18th week of pregnancy. Two treatises by Sir Matthew Hale described abortion of a quick child who died in the womb as a great crime and a great misprison. Unquote. So, as you can see, the only quoted lines from Hale are great crime and, and great, great misprison. misprison. Right? So keep that in your head. So, you know how incredibly bad movies will use very selective pull quotes from reviews to make mm-hmm. them sound awesome? So, like, some stinking turd of a film will have the quote, breathtaking, Tucson Observer. Yeah. And then you actually read the review and it says, this movie was a breathtaking piece of shit. (laughs) So, you're familiar with that practice? Yeah. Well, this kind of thing happens in academic circles also all the time. So, like, you're writing a paper and you you have a premise in mind. And then suddenly the source you're citing doesn't really support the point you're trying to make. So, if you're acting in good faith, you either drop that source and find something that does support your argument. Or you include it, but you, you... you argue against it and you try to, to state why, well, he's, this source said this, but I can argue against it. Yeah. But if you're acting in bad faith, if, for example, you're dishonest and maybe a worthless shit pile of a human being. Like and all a you Judge care, Alito? And if you're, all you care about is advancing a political agenda, well, that's when you whip out the trick used to sell bad movies. You lie while still being technically accurate. So let's follow the footnotes, shall we? Let's start with that very first book cited is Pleas of the Crown by our boy Matthew Hale. This is a very dry tome that's intended to be referenced rather than read. It lays out definitions and standards and prescriptions as part of this attempt to standardize English common law. So this is not even meant, like I said, it's not a reading book. This is like, you'd look this shit up as a lawyer or judge to determine Mm -hmm. matters of law. Yeah, different cases. So, So of this section of the book that we're going from is called of the kinds of offenses, and it, it's a list of all kinds of crimes, starting with heresy and witchcraft. You know, things that really matter, you know. Oh, okay. Because remember, religious crime religious. and secular crime are all the same in this particular to hell. And working our way down till we get to murder on page 53, and this is the one where Justice Alito cites Matthew Hale. So the page continues with this long legal definition called what killing. So this is the page from Pleas of the Crown. So what killing? Hale asks and answers with poison, weapon, gun, bow, crushing, bruising, smothering, strangling, famishing, inciting dogs. Yes, even dogs are a legal murder weapon. (laughs) Uh, Quote, laying a sick man in the cold, laying an infant in an orchard under leaves, and he is stricken with a kite. Which is weirdly specific all of a sudden. Like everything else is like gun, pistol, and then laying a, a hiding a baby under leaves, <laughs> and then he's hit with a kite. So I'm assuming that was a specific case he was referencing there. And, quote, a man keeps a beast used to strike knowingly and ties it not up. The beast kills a man. So you're responsible for Yeah, you're for responsible your, for your yeah, animals. All this seems perfectly reasonable so far. You shouldn't sick mean dogs on people or shoot them. That's murder. All right. The kite thing's a little weird, weird but okay. But, but still... Hiding babies under leaves until they die, also murder. 
Yeah, I mean, and you know, a lot of folklore. Right. You'd, you'd, you'd hide your baby because it was, yeah, laying, it was a changeling. Yeah, laying a baby out to be exposed yeah. is murder. Yeah, saying, it's that's murder. murder. No, him. it's not a changeling. It's your baby. Stop that shit. Yeah. Killing babies is murder. Check. All right. <laughs> so next question about the subject of murder is what the person killed. And the answer, the first part of the answer is extremely important. Quote, it must be a person in rerum natura, unquote. Popping over to uslegal.com and checking out their definitions page to find out what this Latin phrase rerum natura means in the American legal system, quote, this means in the nature of things, in existence. This phrase was used in a dilatory plea alleging that the plaintiff was a fictitious person and therefore not capable of bringing the action, unquote. So, but not Satan, Satan's yeah. real. <clears throat> so what Hale is saying is that in order to be a victim of a crime, you have to be a real person who exists in the real world and in, in nature. So let's continue with Hale in Pleas of the Crown on page 53. Here's where you can follow along. What the person killed? It must be a person in rerum natura. If a woman quick with child take a potion to kill it, and accordingly it is destroyed without being born alive, a great misprison, but no felony. But if born alive and after dies of the potion, it is murder. The like if it does of a stroke given by another in like manner. Counsel before birth to destroy it, and after the child is born, destroyed accordingly, the counselor is accessory to murder. Unquote. So let's break that down. He's saying a murder victim must exist in the real world, and that if a woman were to take a drug to, that ended her pregnancy, he calls it a great misprison, yeah. but no felony. But no felony. It's okay. The great misprison line is his personal feelings on the woman's actions, but he makes it clear that it's not a crime. crime. He goes on to explain that once someone is born, they are a person protected under the law. Yeah, and you can't murder babies. Yeah, you can, killing a newborn is murder, but a woman ending her pregnancy, legally speaking, it's not. The dividing line is birth that's when there you, we go until then you're not a person oh so even the legal precedent that we're trying to quote is actually not making the opposite point, point of what he yeah. said it does yeah. okay let's keep going shall oh, we oh that's nice you fucking dumb piece of shit i fucking hate this so let's follow the other quote that uh, where alito cites abortion as a great crime opening up Historia Placitorum Canorae, History of the Pleas of the Crown by Sir Matthew Hale, page 433. Here's a page for you, oh, baby. God. Quote, if a woman be quick or great with child, if she take or another give her any potion to make an abortion, or if a man strike her whereby the child within her is killed, it is not murder nor manslaughter by the laws of England, because it is not yet in rerum natura. Though it be a great crime, and by the judicial law of Moses was punishable with death, nor can it legally be known whether it it were killed or not. So if it is, if after such child were born alive and baptized, and after die of the stroke given to the mother, that is not homicide. But if a man procure a woman with a child to destroy her infant when born, and the child is born, and the woman in pursuance of that procurement kill the infant, this is murder in the mother, and the procurer is accessory to the murder, if absent, and this whether the child were baptized or not, unquote. So again, the words great crime, the only thing that Alito quotes is just a piece of editorializing that, that Hale yeah, is doing. Yeah, he's like, this is, it's, it, I consider it a great crime, but it's actually legally yeah, not a crime. It clearly states, quoting again, it's it not is not murder crime. nor manslaughter because the fetus is not yet in the in real the world. world. Because it hasn't been born yet. Yeah, it's, I mean, which 
Okay. It's very clear from these texts and other sources, they didn't prosecute women for abortions in 17th century England. So basically, even what you're telling me is we're trying to cite legal precedent that didn't actually fucking exist. It's all bullshit. Holy shit. So up until the fe- up until birth, a fetus was part of a woman's body, and if she wanted to drink poison to end she her pregnancy, could. Hale didn't like it, but it wasn't a crime because because for all his faults, because it's not a fucking baby yet, for it's all not his, a human, for it's all not his, breathing. Yeah, for all his faults, Hale doesn't seem to be a guy who ever tried to rewrite the law. He just was codifying. It's like this is the English common law. Mm-hmm. This is how we do things, and he kept saying, "Well, okay. I don't like this. This is women. Women really shouldn't do that. It sucks." But but, he, but even he didn't try to change what the law was. And he wrote it very clearly. It's right there for anyone to find if they fucking do the reading. I, do you remember that scene in the Avengers when Tony Stark shows up uh, to uh, asking about the energy from the cube? And mm. then everybody looks at him blankly. He's like, am I the only guy who did the reading? Yeah. This is how I felt. I'm the only guy I can tell so far at least in far as that even it, fucking bothered followed, to read it that followed the footnotes they read the opinion like the whole reason i did this subject was because a bunch of people were like it's oh, weird that we're, we're it's weird that we're citing this this old judge this old dead fucker so everybody was pointing out no one questioned what matthew hale actually had to say they just assumed matthew hale sucked so of course his opinions on abortion sucked but in fact they were literally. They were literally like, reasonable. yeah, I think it's, I, yeah, he thinks that abortion, you know, it shouldn't happen. And again, but it's you not a crime. A woman, but it's not a crime one, until the baby's born. The, it's part of the woman's body. She can decide. So the examples given that do constitute a murder charge all involve the child being born alive yeah. and living, then being breathing killed. children. And it's hard. I mean, another reason why that would be: it's like you couldn't. It, women women had fucking miscarriages all, all the, the time. time. Which it, is the point I'm getting to. So all the time. So we all agree that baby murder is bad and should be illegal, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, Matthew baby Hill agrees. Bad. You agree. We also agree that women should be allowed to do things with their bodies, you know, and, and it that, not that, have that, one good goddamn a, thing. That to a do fetus with you. is not an independent person yet. So, thinking about it from a historical point of view, Hale's thing here makes sense because, regardless of their uptight religious beliefs, like you exactly like you just said, how predictable and dangerous pregnancy was. I mean, it still is, but even then, before modern medicine, it was oh my God, incredibly it, dangerous. Holy shit, it was almost a death sentence. Like, miscarriages and stillbirths mm-hmm. happened all the time. Women dying in childbirth all the time. Yeah. Taking the baby with her happened all the time. You know, C-sections yeah. that were the only way to possibly save the life of the baby that didn't often work happened all the time. So until the baby was even a out of the womb, there was no point in trying to give it legal rights or recognition under the law. Hell, a lot of times they didn't even name their babies until, until they were two their two years it, old. Oh yeah, no, like yeah, the, there's a whole nother save because that's the thing. They're like, don't get attached; it's probably gonna die. Modern Americans are very sheltered from how many babies and children used to die. That's why you had big families because half your kids would probably not make it to adolescence. Well, and I mean, my boss, my ex boss, she was only a good, you know, 10, 15 years older than I am. But she would talk about women. She was like, you guys don't understand the, the even the practice of having a baby shower before the baby is born was absolutely ludicrous until almost the 80s. Because more, you know, you wanted the baby to be here and born before you start buying it gifts. Right. Yep. But, you know, common practice, it's made, you know, childbirth both safer for the mother and the baby. Exactly. So it's become more, once you kind of get to that, you know, close to full term, it's like, well, 
you're probably going to have a baby. And then that's the other thing, too. Like, if you actually think about the Roe decision, Mm -hmm. which was the trimester thing, and then later with Planned Parenthood versus Casey, they redefine it to fetal viability. Meaning once the kid could reasonably exist outside the womb, it's no longer okay to, or at least the states are allowed to, to then regulate that. That's the first time you can have abortion rules is at the point of pregnancy when this baby could live on its own, meaning could be separated from the mother and live in the real world. So it's that's an extension of what Hale actually had to say, not what Justice Alito's Alito's bullshit claim is here in this thing. Well, even with this, it cites that um, a fetus in the womb usually occur. you know, the, the first movement felt, it's like I'll even they quote call it this. the quickening, the, the, butter, quickening. the butterflies. It's sixteen to eighteen weeks, which still we're um, a lot of southern states are trying to cut it off at six. Yeah, they're, they're, yeah. Before once, women knew, once know again, they're pregnant, it's very it's completely. So even this says that you should at least give them the first trimester. It's yeah, but this is just simply a way to overturn that, so the states can do whatever they want. Because this, because states' rights are fucking. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so so <laughs> basically, okay, there we have it. So holy shit! Even when citing a hyper-religious judge who didn't believe rape victims and hanged old ladies for the crime of being old, ugly, and cranky, Justice Alito had to misrepresent English common law in order to achieve the goals of a very modern conservative political agenda. So and even the courts of 300 years ago don't fucking didn't they, go they didn't with say Judge that. Alito. He, the other words, he he lied. fucking lied. Oh and my god! We have the receipts. I literally just showed you, and I can Holy show anyone shit. else. And what we're left with is this chilling knowledge: as of June 24th, 2022, women in the United States of America have less reproductive rights than they would have had in 17th century England. Oh my god. How you feeling? Uh, <laughs> I sh- oh my god! I feel a little shocked and a little overwhelmed, and I think that this needs to like we probably if he's going to go and blatantly misrepresent even just precedent law for his own fucking he should be pulled from the bench. I think every single citation and thing he's made in every ruling he's ever made needs to be heavily scrutinized because he apparently is he's like I feel like I'm the teacher who's grading a term paper and I caught a student just being full of shit and lying about their sources like this is bad this is like bad for you know bachelor degree or associate's degree level shit it's and the fact that he pulled those quotes so specifically means he knows very well that he's lying like he had to pull those two words out of the block of text that I showed you, and those are the only two that he could that he could possibly do it. And he took the guy's personal feelings and then pretended to everyone else that those were matters of law when they were not. Oh, he that's some serious fuckery. So yeah, so uh, holy we're, shit, that's more fuckery than the fucking extra nipples. Yeah. <laughs> So that's it. Jesus Christ. We are now done with Sir Matthew Hale and the United States Supreme Court and and, and all of that. So uh, let's just all take the rest of the day and enjoy whatever method of intoxication or relaxation you require. Holy shit. Whether it's booze or weed or punching a brick wall until your hands are bloody. You know, if you want to, you know, raise hell and protest. and Yeah, I mean, honestly, it's like I don't have a law degree, but I'm sure someone does. <laughs> well, here's, the, the, here's the, the nasty part about this is that um, these are lifetime appointments. And what he says goes, there's no, the only mechanism, there's no way. Mecha- impeach, the, we get impeach Look, the only way we can overturn this ruling is with a f- for future, future ruling, mm-hmm. which would need a different court. Or 
impeachment. He would have to be impeached. And, and he so should far, be. But no one's, we don't do it. We, I think we've impeached one Supreme Court justice in the early You know what? Of the I, I'm, I'm really tired of hearing what we haven't done. Why don't we fucking focus on what we should be doing? I'm with you. Or maybe this whole system so This whole system sucks and we need term limits. Place. Term limits. Hey, let's fucking quote this guy about some term limit motherfuckers. So, you know. And how we shouldn't let decrepit old people run our fucking the run the entire show. So retire, asshole. If you retire, you don't want to protest. Uh, you know, make your voices heard or redacted, redacted to a federal court building. Then you know, <laughs> I don't wouldn't blame you. Um, so anyway, thank you, listeners, for listening. Following us through this nightmare. So, yeah, if you feel like it or care about anything anymore, you, know, you can go to com, where I'm going to have a follow-up piece that's written in a more serious style to make this point, show these documents, and make the case that I just made that the Supreme Court lied. Yeah, they lied and they uh, need they to be lied beached. about what it was to make their their case. Um, so, yeah, com. We are now going to drink and smoke heavily. Oh, good Lord, and I need it. Bye. Bye, see ya. For two years, we have defended a forest in South Atlanta from those intent on destroying it. This is the Wilauni Forest. Those who want to destroy it intend to build a $90 million police training facility, Cop City, with roads to practice high-speed chases and a mock city to practice raids, explosive testing, crowd control, and other tactics of urban warfare. In response, we have protested, petitioned, put our bodies on the line, and put pressure on Cop City construction companies and funders. The climate crisis is already here. All across the world, people are fighting back against the destruction of their land, water, and local ecosystems. The police trained in Cop City will be used to brutally suppress the movements we need to wage these battles now and in the years to come. The struggle for life on Earth and the struggle to prevent the expansion of the police state are one and the same. This is not just a local struggle. With media attention on the rise, city officials are scrambling to control the narrative. These individuals meant harm to people and to property. This is a very small group of individuals. Many of them don't even live in Atlanta or in the state of Georgia. They have fabricated domestic terrorism charges, and they have done this precisely because the movement is strong. The police murder of Tortuguita and the ensuing cover-up could have chilled the movement, but instead it has only grown and spread. Together we will stand up for the forest, for the trees and the animals that live in it, and for each other. Wherever you are, we need you here. Come camp with us from March 4th through 11th for a week of action in the Wilauni Forest. Top City will never be built. Wilauni Forest is, and will always remain, a public park. <laughs>